electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Reaction to the Fed Chair's speech, what it means for the markets and your money in the months ahead. The Investment Committee debating all of that. Joining me for the hour today, Kerry Firestone. Joe Terranova, Jim Labenthal, Rob Seachin. Let's check the markets because we've kind of been all over the map since Jay Powell spoke right now. The Dow's positive. S&P's fighting it out. It's up one and a half. NASDAQ is negative. Yields have since moved higher. There's, uh, I think I just saw 425 on the 10-year. Joe, okay, so we're parsing every word. We knew we would. What's the market reaction telling you about what this means now? We had two catalysts to defeat the seasonal weakness this week, and we're 0 for 2. It's still a sell-the-rips market. Chairman Powell did nothing more than read me yesterday's newspaper. The market had already priced in exactly what he said. The market realizes that the risk is that the economy stays longer than the Federal Reserve is comfortable with and that they're going to have to raise rates further. That's That's what the Treasury market has been telling us. So you're hanging on the persistent signs of above-trend growth could put progress uh, on inflation at risk and warrant further tightening. Those are the words that you think matter more than anything to the market right now. Well, that's what's mattered to the market in the last three weeks, and he's just re- reiterating that. Okay. Quite candidly, I think he's wrong. I think he's a classic example of a trader who is right but early. I think the, the inflation is going to ultimately prove to be transitory. We've got a trillion dollars of fiscal stimulus that will begin to fl- uh, fade out. You have disinflation in China and in Asia that is ultimately going to be exported here. I think inflation is going to come down. I just don't think it's going to come down fast enough. And he's going to be doing a little bit too much. Okay, so the, the read, Jim, on the chair was that he was more hawkish than not. I'm not trying to just be an automatic contrarian or anything, but I, I, I was hanging on the lines a little bit. Uncertain about the lags, Yep, he said, might be, quote, significant further drag in the pipeline. To me, that sounded like somebody who was looking at a bar that was kind of high to doing more, like concerned about what sort of lags have yet to be felt. I don't know if we should be focusing on, on that a little bit more than perhaps some are. I will agree with you that he was, I'd call him hawkish. I don't think, you know, he wasn't dovish. Certainly no talk about cuts, right? There shouldn't have been, and there wasn't. Um, Maybe he was just neutral. I th- that Good. Yes. Okay. And the reason he's neutral is because he's saying, look, last year he punched the market in the face. This year he's saying, I'll do it again, but I'm going to wait and see what the data comes in and tells me. He says, we're ready to raise rates. Going to wait and see what the inflation data does. Two months isn't enough. Uh, Also acknowledged again, the long uh, and variable lags. Doesn't know where our star is. Nobody knows where our star is. It's not something, you know, you look up on the Wall Street Journal front page. So he's acknowledging he did this at least twice. He acknowledges there are risks out there. 
and they're going to be very careful with how they proceed. Not changing the inflation target. That's silly. That was not going to happen. That's not a one-man decision. Oh, he underscored two yeah. percent, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, what, he, what is he going to say anyway? No, he can't. He can't make that change on his own anyway. And if they were going to make it, you'd, heard, you'd hear a lot of people saying it. So that was no. off the table. Look, ultimately, just simplify this. Data dependent. So, Joe, to what you were saying, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I think inflation is going to come down. On that note, last thing, he did acknowledge the lagging effect of rents. Uh, in the stated CPI numbers. I think that's important. He knows that. Rob, so Joe referenced 0 for 2. I know what he means. The first one's clearly NVIDIA, right? They knocked the cover off the ball yet again. They round the bases, and we think, okay, the market's going to react positively to that. Didn't really. It's kind of muted, actually. And now you got Powell. Market's not sure really what to take from all of it. So where does it leave us at a time where the S&P is now down 4.5% from its 52-week high? If we're in a correction... Uh, it's been mild and modest to this degree, to this point. What now? So I think we're in an environment where you had the speech kind of play out this way. Maximum optionality with some hawkishness. So trying to preserve that soft landing uh, narrative. NVIDIA yesterday is really interesting because the traders reacted positively and then the investors considered and they decided that it's probably a time to be to, to, to be mindful of risk. You look at what happened with Microsoft. You look at what happened to some of these big names. And that's what happens when you get extended. You are incredibly, from a valuation perspective, you're incredibly vulnerable to disappointment. You're incredibly vulnerable to a change in momentum. You're incredibly vulnerable coming into the seasonal weakness. And I would say that positioning should reflect that, being, being mindful of price. I mean, there, there is talk about, you know, Michael Hartnett, Bank of America, who does their flow show and who puts out some, I think, you know, pretty thoughtful research. Uh, they continue to say tech, second half trouble, rather than an era of what he calls new AI rules. Uh, higher for longer, rates and yields will cause a pop and bust, sell the last rate hike. So, so you know, seasonality is, is not your friend right now. Carrie, that's something we have to contend with, too. It's been a... Not a great August, obviously. And now we're going into a couple of months that are traditionally not great either for investors. So we got NVIDIA, we got the Fed chair, you got a jittery market. What do you make of it? Well, the market obviously cared a whole lot more about what Jay Powell said than what NVIDIA said. And that tells us something. We're, we're really caught in this kind of intense scrutiny of everything the Fed is thinking about doing, saying what they might or might not do. It's, it's really pretty uh, tenuous when you think about hanging on every single word and you know, parsing every syllable. So you know, I, I think that what we, we can take away from this is we haven't had a recession. We can argue with the timing of what Jay Powell has done and the Fed over the last year and a half, but they haven't caused a recession. Inflation has come down. The market is only off 8%, roughly, from the all-time high. So that's pretty impressive. I know down 4%, but it hasn't had, uh, recently, it has not had a big drop. And earnings seem to be okay, you know, not fantastic. Mm -hmm. Uh, The earnings recently retail, you know, kind of weak, 
but the, the biggest companies have, have held their own. So I, I would say neutral is the right word right now. The market is flat. You know, it's, there are as many buyers and sellers today. So people were taking away from this, I guess, what they expected. Mm-hmm. And, and that's fine. But we know that they're not going to raise rates, or we, we presume they're not going to raise rates in September. And let's see how the GDP numbers come in and what okay. we hear from companies that report. All right. So we got a lot to get to uh, on the show in terms of trades we need to talk about that people have made. We'll size up the market in the in the weeks ahead. We've got Austin Goolsby coming up at 1230 here with Steve Leisman from Jackson Hole. Let's in the meantime bring in Richard Fisher, the former Dallas Fed president, before we get back to some you know, trading of, of actual of, of stuff. Um, Mr. Fisher, it's good to see you again. It's good to have you today. Thank you. How much how much more uh, are Jay Powell and company going to do from here on out, do you think? I don't think they know, and I think he was very frank about it. He's navigating by the stars, as he said, in a cloudy night. Uh, by the way, having navigated at the Naval Academy as a midshipman, when the, you can't navigate by the stars, you end up navigating boats called dead reckoning. There's a lot of uncertainty there, and I think that's what he is frank about, admitting. The one thing I think our panel and observers and pundits should realize there's no GPS to monetary policy. There's no precision. It's a matter of judgment. And you want to have an experienced captain steering that ship, and that's what I like to remind people about. Powell's been in this place, uh, either as governor or as chair, since 2012. He's an experienced captain, an experienced skipper. And what I like about him, instead of just talking in Fed speak, and making it confusing for everybody, he's very honest. And I don't think they know. I think still it's possible, maybe 50-50, that they could move in September. Okay. It's very clear, though, uh, the thing is super clear. But you, they will you, not you, abandon you, the 2% target while he's chair. They will not uh, indulge in serious discussion about our star and neutral rates. That's theoretically a concept, but they're navigating in the real world, and it's a very difficult world right now. You say he's uh, an experienced skipper, and and of of course he is, but he already misread the map once when he talked about transitory. And now the big concern... You and I I talked about this many times, Scott. But but, but, but let me finish. Let me me finish, though, please. The the worry now is that people think he's going to drive us into an iceberg. By, by doing too much, by doing too much, because even Mester says, you know, it's all about risk management. Then my question to you is, you know, are the risks now skewed towards doing too much? Because even the chair himself today says, we just don't know about the lags. There could be considerable drag still to come. I like the iceberg thing. I could just see him and Janet Yellen on the bow of the ship. So it's quite an image. Um, yeah, and but he, I think he's been frank about that too. Remember last year he talked about you're going to create some pain. And it's very clear the singular focus here, as long as we have the kind of employment numbers we have, the kind of growth numbers that appear to be manifesting themselves in this quarter, they will err on the side of quelling the inflation drag. And that's their singular focus right now. They're lucky the economy is relatively strong still. Employment's at a 50 year, unemployment's at a 50 year low. The pressures on inflation are coming down. They're disinflating, but they have a job to do. And what I get from the talk 
following on last year. It's a continuum. They will keep at it. Loretta made that very clear in her interview. Mm-hmm. Do, do, you and, think the, uh, do you think the stronger than expected economy, the one you just referenced, has thrown a wrench of sorts into the Fed's plans? A, a wrench? No, but I mean, it's just another variable they have to take into account. It's actually good news, Scott. We're continuing to steam along. I'm, I'm going to kill the naval analogy here. We're still steaming forward. And uh, we have a very good skipper at the helm and a good committee that's advising him. So I, I think this is good news. I, the market has reacted in a way to the degree markets react uh, pretty neutrally here, as was just discussed. So it, it, we've had a severe correction. The market didn't overreact to that talk that he gave this morning. And we're steaming along at a decent speed. And the boilers aren't overheating, but they're still a little bit too hot. How's that? But, but I wonder, you know, to what degree should he maybe de- declare victory? If You know, he doesn't need to go on the aircraft carrier with mission accomplished. But <laughs> look, I mean, from where he was last year, inflation's come way down. The economy has stayed strong. They've done a pretty good job of, of getting us to where they are now. Earlier mistakes aside, I mean, whatever. It's about what have you done for me lately? And the economy's pretty good and inflation's going in the right direction. He knows there's still lags to come. So maybe just step back, take a seat, see what happens. Scott, put yourself in his shoes. He did make a big mistake by letting the staff convince him the transitory argument was sound. He has two and a half years or whatever left. He does not want to make two mistakes in a row. And the worst mistake he can make here, or the committee can make, is to see inflation start to come up again or not continue to go down. He has to worry about his historical legacy. Now's the time to correct for embracing the transitory argument and waiting too long. And I believe that's, if I were him, I would be very conscious of the need to make sure I don't make two mistakes. Because then I go down in history as not being a good Fed chairman. So he's correcting for getting off course, and now he's back on course, and I think he will stay that course as long as he's chair. Okay, and let, let's wrap it, because I've got Austin Goolsby coming up too, and I gotta get to some, to some things before that. Um, the target, 2%. I know he says it, he has no choice but to say it. Right. When do they first cut rates, do you think? They're, presumably, they, they're not gonna wait obviously, until you get all the way to 2%, you've got to feel like you're on the steady course there to continue right. to use this analogy. Um, <laughs> is that right? I mean, what, when does the first cut come, do you think? I don't think it comes till sometime late next year. Late next year. So in, in I mean, calendar unless 24. The economy, unless the economy implodes, and we're nowhere near imploding. The manufacturing sector's got weaknesses, obviously. Some of the transport folks do. But the consumer, which is not as robust, is still driving the economy. And unless we have an implosion, we see a sudden rise, significance in employment. Well, I don't see a need for them to cut. They have normalized rates. We were living in an artificial environment for far too long. It distorted price discovery. And now we're getting back to a decent rate structure. So I wouldn't feel the pressure. It depends on the economic circumstances, obviously. 
or if we start to deflate. I don't see that in the cars. Richard, I always like talking to you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you, Scotty son. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> That's Richard Fisher, the former Dallas Fed president, joining us. All of this plays into, you know, the rate picture. Let's just move it from the Fed and rates to tech, okay? Because that's the other big variable this week is what happens from here forward. Um, it's been a rough month, as we know, Rob, uh, for tech. Apple's down 9.5%, NVIDIA's down 2 because it had a big ramp even into this week's mm-hmm. earnings and then the reaction on the other side. Meta's down 12. These stocks have been uncertain. They've been unsettled. They've, to some degree, gotten us to where we are now. We wouldn't even be having a conversation about the strong market this year without it. So what happens now? So I think you're in a really precarious spot because on the one hand, tech has been a, a safety trade. Now, that's in another era when they were priced differently, but that was the flight to quality trade. And now we're talking about an environment where you're, the earnings are really exposed to, to long-term interest rates and prices are much different than they were then. So if you get this environment where tech starts to break, and it's certainly looking like there's the initial phases of some breakage, I think you can see some massive declines. Just just look at this. Now, the, the demographics of NVIDIA are obviously very different because of the enthusiasm around AI and everybody playing to catch up. But think about when Meta got to that place. It fell enormously. But those were, self, very, but those were self-inflicted wounds. Agreed. Those this, were taking your eye different. off the ball. But, but think NVIDIA's about not when doing you, that. They're, they're definitely not. But think about when you reach these price-to-sales levels, as they have reached before, they tend to bounce, they tend to bounce off them. And so all I'm saying is you are vulnerable to a change in momentum, to a change in sentiment, and these stocks re-rate very, very quickly, very quickly. You're seeing it in some stocks today. So I'm not, I'm not worried about the long-term fundamental thesis for these names. They are very strong. AI is going to drive productivity. You're not seeing it in any of the earnings yet, except for NVIDIA, which is a pick-and-shovel company that sells into this space. You're starting to see it in some of the other uh, businesses that help build AI. But even Microsoft, which is arguably the preeminent, has the preeminent strategy in the space, is selling off over the last few weeks. I, I mean, I think we are vulnerable into this seasonally weak period with momentum breaking down. Wells Fargo I think totally says, fine. Mega, say it's totally what? They say, hold on. But Wells Fargo on mega caps. We favor Uber caps for the remainder of the yep. year in a quote unquote melt up. We expect a narrow market, which we had before, mm-hmm. with Uber caps leading the parade. I think it's totally fine if you see a correction in the mega caps into what is a prevailing bullish trend in 2023. What happened in 2022 is you had a prevailing downtrend that reached a crescendo at the end of the year with significant tax loss harvesting. This is a completely different environment. I think what's also happening right now is there is no institutional buying in these mega caps. We witnessed that the other day from NVIDIA. So positioning now comes back into play. If, in fact, we experience the seasonal weakness, which obviously the indications are that's what we're experiencing right now. On the other side of that, if technology restores its prevailing bullish trend, you're going to have the general 
portfolio manager on the institutional side that's underweight technology. That creates what I've said all along is a Q4 chase for performance. Right. I believe that's real. I think that's coming in 2023. Um, listen, in the interim, I run an equal weighted strategy. So I own technology differently. And that's had a negative effect on my performance year to date because I you should have owned the market. Cap don't weighted. we don't we look at what NVIDIA delivered, though, Jim, and, and say that you can't tell me that these stocks are going to go down a ton because if they come down at all further from where they've already done this month, it's going to be snapped up yeah. by the it, dip. Yeah. By the dip may be narrow, but by the dip in those names. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. But even before you get that, where I think we are right now is people are saying, Joe, you and I and Rob, we're not the only ones talking about seasonality, right? So if you are worried about that, I've been raising some funds. Other people have been raising funds. Where are you going to go to? I mean, how big, if you owned NVIDIA at the beginning of the year, or Apple or Tesla or any of these names, they're huge in your portfolio right now. So if you're going to raise funds to just kind of tactically back off the market for the next month or so, that's likely where you're going to take the funds from. And I totally agree with your supposition. I'm one of them, right? I, I'm thinking of you as you're, you're talking. You're the poster guy for this entire conversation. As the mar- So as these tech stocks come back, and you've seen I've raised some funds, right? I've raised some funds from where I'm overweight, more cyclical non-tech names. And I'm just ready. Now, I'm going to let these names come in probably over the next two to three weeks. I think second half of September, this will be over. Joe, I'm in complete agreement with you about Q4. Usually, I mean, just history says when you have as strong a year as you've had this year, you're likely to get one heck of a Christmas rally. I mean, you really are. But see, look, you you bought NVIDIA this week. Yep. You you were out of it. You know, we use the train analogy all, all year of this train getting further and further down the tracks. Yep. You're not on it. Looks like that's where the party is. And eventually, you, you know, you run fast enough, the train pulls back a little bit and slows down, you have a chance to get on, which you did. Now, Carrie, take that to the next level, though, before we take our first break. Um, are there a lot of gyms out there, those who aren't in the NVIDIAs, those who are still institutionally underweight mega caps? And does that save the day from a much larger pullback in these names? The answer's got to be yes. I mean, first... First of all, no one is overweight Apple and Microsoft. I mean, very, very few people because they are 7 and 6% of the S&P. But a lot of people don't own NVIDIA. They certainly don't own Tesla broadly. I think that Meta has been a stock that people have been piling into, but still there are lots of people who haven't believed. And Meta and Google both trade at market multiples, slightly lower than market multiples, in fact. Um, the, the expensive stock on the price-to-sales uh, basis, as Rob alluded to, that, that's NVIDIA. It's not really true of the others. Uh, in fact, you know, you can make a case that the P.E. multiple of, of the four largest names, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, uh, and um, um, Microsoft, where are we? Amazon, Microsoft, um, Apple, yeah, are all, um, that's exactly the same as it's been for the top four names for the past 20 years, sort of P.E. to um to in PE is 1.5, 1.4. So I think there are a lot of people who don't own them and could start to buy them. And yeah, right. we're having an um, August, you know, slump. But November and December are usually strong seasonally. And and you know, I I don't put much into the 
the momentum of, of the um, the trading because, you know, okay. post-COVID, who, who knows what playbook they follow. Scotty, right. Josh talks about this all the time, right? Trimming these names. He's trimmed NVIDIA. Uh, we've trimmed Microsoft. We've trimmed Apple into these things. That's proper portfolio management. That's how you have to think about it. When they get extended relative to their history based on price, you don't not own them. It's too dangerous not to own some of them. Just manage around. Jim trimmed Apple not long ago when we were on the show, I think. I, I, mean, I mean, I have trimmed Apple. Yeah, I can't so, remember I mean, when it was. It's not like you don't own this stuff. Read the room, boys. Yeah. I, I got to take a break. I did. Coming up. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Our call of the day coming up. A big upgrade for a stock that's already up 40% this week. Why one analyst sees another 20% upside ahead. We debate it. Plus, we'll take you live to Jackson Hole for our first on interview with Chicago Fed President Austin Goolsmeeks coming up. Halftime's back in two. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started. Welcome to our call today. It's Netflix upgraded to buy at Loop. The firm sees the stock heading to 500 bucks. There it is, just north of 400, gain of one and a third percent today. Um, so you sold, Joe. You did uh, Netflix during your rebalance in July. Um, what do you think of this call? How about this? I agree with the call. I think the call's right. I think mm-hmm. Netflix could go to 500. I think what they're citing fundamentally, all the reasons are valid. They seem to make sense to me. Why'd you get you out have of to understand. Why'd you rebalance it? Because we have, you get out of it? We, have, we have rules that we follow, and the rules have worked for us to date. In April of 2021, we sold Netflix at $513. We bought it back two years later. We stayed out of the stock for two years. We bought it back at 329 We sold it at the end of July at 439 And the reasoning was because we prioritized the direction of revenue growth. Three year revenue growth, 16%, two-year revenue growth, 8%, one-year revenue growth down to 3%. So very easily, Scott, we could see an acceleration in the revenue growth once again. We could see all the fundamentals that are being suggested in the Loop Capital report come together once again. And guess what? We'll buy it right back. You ever break the rules? No. No. Never? You know that from the last block. Well, that's true. I needed to go. You didn't say anything. Thank you. Thank you. I'm a good listener. Appreciate that. Thank you. Um, these guys break the rules. <laughs> Jimmy, you own Disney. Um, maybe you wish you owned Netflix instead. 
yeah. uh, because Disney's been brutal. Let's let's show Disney. I mean, it's been 80, under 84. <laughs> um, oh, it's a new, oh, right, this week put in a new post-COVID low. Yeah. And it hasn't been under, I don't know, I don't think it's been under 84 since like 2014. Yeah, I mean, something the like that. frustrating thing about Disney, and we actually discussed this yesterday, is like, what's the news? Like, what's the catalyst that's knocking it down? It's just general malaise. Everybody knows what the issues are that are out there, and we talked about them yesterday, right? What are we going to do with Hulu? I mean, just buy it already. Uh, when are they going to reinstate the dividend? ESPN is the, re- is the real albatross that's uh, hanging back on this. But I think, you know, Disney might be emblematic of a lot of stocks right now in this seasonal time that's, that really doesn't have have a lot of love in the markets and certainly for stocks that are down. It's not like there is news this week that has knocked this down. That's 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 what's vexing. I mean, there's a, you know, a speck of news today. Amazon said to be, according to the information and in talks with Disney about ESPN streaming partnership. And, and Verizon, maybe that's why the stock's up a percent. I mean, Verizon, I mean, maybe it's a sympathy bounce is what I think today is. But, you know, last week it was Verizon in the same sort of talks. Okay, the talks are going on. Bob Iger's not, you know, sitting on his butt, not doing things. He's working. The team's working. But um, they're just, I, I don't think there's enough news to hang your hat on to make the stock go one way or the other right now. That's why it's just vexing that it's coming down on no news. Seat, you, you don't own Disney. You don't own Netflix either. Don't own, don't own Amazon anymore. I mean, Disney's underperformed the S&P by 80% over the last five years. It's broken. <laughs> I, I mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of work that needs to happen there, and we're just not interested in waiting through it. All right, let's get the headlines now with Seema Modi. Hi, Seema. Scott, we'll start in Hawaii, where Maui County releasing the names of nearly 400 people who are still missing two weeks after those wildfires. First and last names of those missing were compiled by the FBI and released by county police. Officials announced last night that more than 1,700 people who had been reported as unaccounted for have been found safe and well. Spirit Airlines will pay over $8 million to settle a class action lawsuit over surprise fees. Passengers say the budget airline added carry-on bag fees to tickets bought from third-party vendors, including Expedia and Travelocity. Eligible travelers seeking refunds will get up to 75% of their fees back, depending on the number of people submitting a refund request. And official announced that Spain's government has started legal proceedings to suspend the Soccer Federation president for kissing a player after winning the World Cup. The president refused to quit today, fueling outrage among players and government officials who have spoken out against his behavior. Scott, back to you. Okay, Seema, thank you. Seema Modi. Straight ahead, we go back to Jackson Hole. Our own Steve Leisman sitting down with Chicago Fed President Austin Goolsby. Can't miss that interview. See what comes out of that, what the market does. We're back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back. We'll go back to Jackson Hole now. That's where Steve Leisman's sitting down with Chicago Fed President Austin Goolsby. Steve? Scott, thanks very much. I am here in Jackson Hole with Chicago Fed President Austin Goolsby. Austin, you've been among the more... Um, I don't know, optimistic, outspoken folks about the possibility of a soft landing. Do you still feel that way? I still feel like there's a path. You know, um, I keep calling it the golden path that 
we could get inflation down without having a big recession. That would be virtually unprecedented for inflation to come down as much as we needed. But we, we've, we've, thus far, it's been going okay. Uh, so, you know, we, we still need more information coming in, but uh, nothing's happened in the last two months that make me think that the golden pass is impossible. I want to get more broadly to uh, Chair Powell's speech, but he did say, and he reiterated from a, a comment he made last year, that bringing inflation down is going to require a period of below potential growth. He said that last year we haven't had it. Inflation came down. Do you think we can do that without falling below potential growth and without a rise in the unemployment rate? Maybe. I mean, that, that kind of raises the bar. My standard for what would be a major triumph for the Fed would be if you didn't have a big recession. You got inflation down from high levels down to target without a big recession. There's a second thing. Maybe you, if, if you got beneficial supply shocks, you could even do it without an interruption of growth, maybe. Um, but, but I do feel like that's a, that's a higher threshold. That's a higher bar. Tell us about your base case. Are you done hiking? I don't know. As you, as you know, I don't, I don't like to speculate before the meeting, especially when you got important data coming in on, on prices and inflation. It does feel like we're in a period where if conditions keep going like what we've seen the last couple of months, our argument is going to revolve around, well, how long should we keep rates at the levels they are rather than how much higher should the rates go? You know, since you don't want to speculate, I'll ask you to speculate even longer term. <laughs> um, what about next year? Is that a year when the Fed might be easing back on interest rates? Look, Tell me what happens to price inflation, especially. Well, that's why we hire you is for you to tell us. <laughs> so, so the we, we, we just gotta we, we just gotta watch the conditions on these. The, the, there are scenarios in which I feel like it will be obvious that the Fed needs to be more aggressive. There are scenarios in which it's clear the Fed needs to be less aggressive, and we're all trying to play by ear because this business cycle and this circumstance is really very unusual. Talk about uh, the Fed chair speech. It wasn't a, a, a victory speech. It wasn't a mission accomplished speech. Um, even though inflation has come down from 8% to say 3% um, or 9% to 3%, depends on how you want to measure it. Um, should it have been more of a victory speech that, that inflation is, is, is closer to being vanquished? I Look, I, I learned from the first day I got here, I don't tell the chair what to what to say or what to do. I think he was properly sober. Let's not conclude too much. We've gotten a couple of good months of of improvement data on inflation. We saw progress in the areas that we've been wanting to see progress on goods, on the beginning of housing. But there's still a long way to go. So I think if the chair had gotten up and said mission accomplished, that seems like it'd be premature. One of the things I remember about in the wake of the Silicon Valley Bank is you were among those who were more concerned about the potential impact of bank credit tightening Indeed. on the economy. It doesn't quite seem to materialize. So far, it does not seem like it materialized. So you, admit been, you were wrong. Been, well, the, I, I said I wanted to watch that. Okay. And I've been happy to find <laughs> that there has been, definitely been credit tightening, and you saw Chair Powell say there's right. been intense credit tightening. But we raised the interest rate 500-plus basis points right. in a short period. There's always going to be credit tightening. The question was, is there going to be more than just what you'd expect from monetary policy? Right. So far, it doesn't seem like there has been. So, that, so that's, that's promising. Well, so far is a good phrase because we have recently had a recent spike up in interest rates. Yes. Does it cause you some concern for the economy? Does it change your outlook? 
Especially uh, on the long A little, you know, some concerns. It, it is what it is in, in a way. We're in a position where we're balancing off. There are other readings like the GDP now type readings that say maybe growth is accelerating. So if the longer rates are going up and if there's some restraint coming coming on that side to bring it into balance, you don't have to react. Maybe maybe that's okay. That's what we're that's what we're trying to wait. Scott Wapner's got a question for you. I appreciate it, Steve. Austin, it's nice to see you, and thank you for being here on on halftime. To me, one of the real wild cards centers around the lag effect. The Fed chair himself mentioned it today when he talked about the possibility of still significant drags on the economy. I'm curious from your standpoint, how significant do you think the lag still might be from what you guys have already done? Yeah, look, Scott, you're you're honing right in, of course, on the central question of there's one worldview that says, monetary policy takes a couple of years to to work its way through the system so there's still a lot of tightening that's coming down the pipe and another view says people's expectations move before monetary policy even moves so therefore the two years is already done and this is kind of what we've seen we're still trying to get us it's, it's not like there's an obvious answer to that we're still trying to sort that out but either way I think that argues a little bit for caution that keep your eye on the price series. The new months of, of price inflation is, is the best thing to be looking at in the short run because you can't observe what the lags are. We, we kind of just have to wait to see. Um, when you look at the, some of those lags, among them is looking at what's happening with, for example, credit card balances and delinquencies. What kind of concern do you have right now for, the, for the, what's happening with the consumer? I'd say the most uh, interesting slash unusual thing about the consumer is that the interest rate is up as much as it is, and you really haven't seen the consumer spending deteriorate in a way that, that would be traditional. And Part of that is probably consumer durables like autos. Normally, that would be a major channel of monetary policy. Auto production and auto purchase are actually up a bit, despite the rates being as up as much as they are. And I think some part of that is this pent-up demand, and we had the supply constraints, so it's from an artificially low base. That just makes it more confusing. I mean, it, that, 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 it, it would be a triumph if the Fed or any central bank can get inflation down without a recession. It's, it's hardly ever happened before. And the, if the consumer spending can maintain a steadiness in the face of these high interest rates, it, it, I feel like that makes it a little more possible. Austin, we're, we're real tight on time, but I'm sorry to lay this big question on you right here. But <laughs> it, it, it's kind of important. People okay. say that Getting from nine to three was the easy part. I'm not saying it was easy, but that's what yeah. people say. Getting from three to two is the hard part. And, and, and when they say that, they start to ask the question, how much is it really worth it to get down to two? What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to sacrifice in the way of the economy to get it to two? If you got to three with no change in the unemployment rate, you got there with a stock market that really hasn't changed, are you willing to give up the economy, uh, give up the stock market, give up all that stuff just to get to two? I see where you're going. 
it's leading us down the path into the hypothetical religious wars that I, that I definitely don't want well, to get involved. We should explain what you're talking but, about. Which so is, I will say that that's the question. giving up I think, the target. Should you give up the target? Right. Should that's you the change religious the target question. and just declare victory, even if it wasn't victory? I, I, th- I think not. I think, A, inflation's not fully down to 3%. It feels like th- that, that's headline, but the headline's got energy prices that move around a lot. It's got food prices that move around a lot. There's definitely been improvement in core inflation, but it's too high. The inflation's too high. So I've, I'm uncomfortable with declaring victory when it's clearly not victory. We stated before we got into this what the target was going to be. I, I just don't feel like you can change your inflation target until you've hit it. Then, then you can have a discussion about that. So you say go all the way and then figure it out. I think you have to go all the way. Now, my, my uneasiness with the target is everybody acts like it's, we, we can be as precise as, as, as should right. the target be 2.0 or 2.1. The inflation is far too variable for that. So I, th- I think we got to take a broader perspective. On but are you willing to be patient getting there? I'm willing to be patient getting there, okay. and and I think you see if you look at the at the SEP and the statements of of the projections of the whole FOMC, there is a patience that's in that's involved in it that that, that they're projecting. Austin, thanks for joining us today. Steve, it's great to Austin see you. Austin Goolsby, uh, Scott, we're on the golden path, or right? there's a there's a there's a path yeah. to the golden. We path. might be, might be. Yeah. But Steve, la- lastly, before I let you go, I mean, there to your last question, therein lies the greatest risk. Does the Fed have the patience to let what they've done work its way through, even before the reads themselves say you're at 2%, or do they push it too far? It matters for everybody watching, investor class, every class. Uh, I'm not not going to answer for the Fed, Scott. Scott, I'm not going to answer for the Fed, but I will point out historically, the Fed had an awful lot of patience with an inflation rate that didn't hit 2% and ran below it for quite some time. Perhaps there should be uh, an equal amount of patience, depending upon what they call here, Scott, the sacrifice ratio. What do you have to give up to get there? And if you go slowly, do you not have to give up as much? There was an idea of of raising rates quickly on the front end, thinking you were going to do a better job with that. I'm talking here with an expert who knows more about this than I do uh, right next to me here. But I'll just say that maybe if you're patient, you don't have to give up so much. Well, they did a lot. And they did a lot quickly, and they really haven't given up to your earlier question and point all that much, considering where we are in, in, in everything. Steve, thank you so much. I appreciate it very much. We'll see you back here. Thanks. Steve Leisman, Jackson Hole up next. Jim just made a big move in the beaten down retail space. We're going to tell you about it next. Say about a move that Jim Labenthal has made. Uh, you trimmed Home Depot. I did. Why? Boy, I really respect how this stock has hung in there for the last year. Joe and I, you may have heard us in the commercial break, Scott. We were just going over March 16th, the first rate hike of March 16th of last year. The stock's up about 3% from then, as mortgage rates have more than tripled during that time frame. I mean, you got to respect what this has done. I'm not sure it has much more in it for the short term. Now, I am not negative on Home Depot. I'm still retaining a position. I've cut it by a little bit more than half. And this is my way of saying I just don't think it's going anywhere for the near term. So I'd like to have some dry powder for this pullback. The Joe, Rob, and I all see is happening right now. I'd like to have some dry powder, and I'm taking it from Home Depot. Let's let NVIDIA come in some more, Scott. That's where I'll add. Can add to Microsoft and Apple as well, but you're I'm going to let that happen. Well, you're also looking at Nike. 
which is yeah. We throw up night oh camp. Boy. It's been down 11 straight days. I don't oh know what it's boy. doing today. We'll that was position. before today. Before I'll give you today. My position. <laughs> is it a bounce for Nike today after 11 down days in a row? You it know, is a modest one, but nonetheless, at least it's green. I may be being too cute here, Scott. Uh, it's a forward multiple, I think, of 27. I'm not looking on the screen. I'm just doing that from memory. If I get this at a forward multiple of 24, this is getting a super high-quality company at a great price. Normally, people, long-term investors, like to get great companies at good prices. If I can get this at a forward multiple of 24, history says that's a great price to buy Nike. It's like 26 and a half if we round up. You're close. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to give you 27. I, 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 I did not expect you to give me anything. <laughs> he knows. All right, up next, the committee gets you set up for some key earnings next week. We're right back after this quick break. We've got some earnings to get through in the week ahead. Carrie, Salesforce, next Wednesday after the bell, along with CrowdStrike, too, which has ownership. Uh, on the show. We'll get to that in a second. But what about Salesforce, Care? Well, we think that it'll have a good quarter. The, the stock's up over 50% for the year, but we think that the earnings should be up 50%. They're going to start to show better numbers on the top line, and we continue to like it and think there's a good chance they beat. Okay. Uh, Joe, you own Salesforce as well in the Joe T. Uh, CrowdStrike, personally. Back into CrowdStrike once again. Got out of in June. After what we heard from Palo Alto, I expect a good quarter from CrowdStrike. Options pricing in an 8% move. The viewers need to understand that. This will have uh, an above average move relative to what we've seen in some of these other cyber names. A couple other interesting names to pay attention to Thursday after the bell, Lulu. You own that. Give me that read first. Lulu is going to be interesting. You want to see here how they were able to uh, grab more of a footprint internationally. I think that's going to be a critical part of the story. So a lot of focus has obviously been on NVIDIA and for good reason. Broadcom, you own that personally and in the Joe T. Um, and that is a name that you always hear, which is another big AI play, they yeah. say. Uh, the stock's up 50% year to date. After what NVIDIA did, and what the market did after NVIDIA reported, how should we be thinking now about Broadcom? I think you saved the best for last. I still view Broadcom as a reasonably valued way to participate in the generative AI trade. This is one of the more strategically opportunistic plays in the semiconductor space. They're going to grow their AI revenue from where it was 10% in 22, 15% in 23, ultimately 25% in 24, a billion dollars in AI revenue. And I think that the fact that NVIDIA had that type of a reversal takes a little bit of the pressure off of Broadcom in terms of what the price reaction is going to be post earnings. I think you could see a strong price reaction mm -hmm. concurrent with a strong earnings. Okay, quick break, final trades right there after. Closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern on this Friday. We've got a lot to discuss, a lot to look ahead to as well. Jeremy Siegel, the professor, is with us. Dan Ives has a new note on Tesla. He'll be with me. Mark Okada as well. And we're going to have we got the markets cornered at 3 o'clock, and I hope to see all of you then. Let's do final trades. Carrie, what do you got? Autodesk. So the stock has been very weak over the past year and a half as construction and interest rates obviously hurt. They lead in the design 
uh, software for construction and all sorts of building. But they reported a decent quarter. They took the guidance up for the next fiscal year. And we think that there's a long runway now uh, for Autodesk, which has really been a, a poor performer, but is starting to pick up a bit. All right. Thank you, Robert. ConocoPhillips in a golden cross, 50-day above the 200-day. Looks like that's going to be a good sign. It's one of the best names in the space. We own it. Glad you stayed for the whole time. What time's this show end, Rob? <laughs> One o'clock, Scott. <laughs> Jimmy. Wobbly market in the, at the end of summer. I'm going with a steady eddy here. Berkshire Hathaway. Joe T. Maybe this isn't good. There's still time for you to leave. You got a couple of seconds. I got five seconds. Yeah, it's just, maybe this isn't good for inflation, but Valero. Seasonality matters here. All right, I'll see you on the closing bell. A good weekend. Uh, the exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.